What were the main issues of the Reformation? What are the divisions around salvation or justification, a big word of the Reformation between, you know, Roman Catholics and Protestants? How do we still see things differently? Or has that maybe been resolved with certain documents? We'll be looking at all that on this uh, part three of the Sons of Thunder series we're doing, a Roman Catholic and Protestant <laughs> dialogue. 27-part series. Exactly. Uh, on Theology On Air. Well, thanks for joining us. I'm Evan uh, McClanahan. I'm the pastor here at First Lutheran, and uh, this is Theology On Air. It's a ministry of Theology by the Pint. Uh, you can learn more theologybythepint.org. I'm hoping you, you found us maybe going to an event and you said, oh, I'm going to listen to those uh, guys' podcast as well. So you found Theology On Air. But Theology by the Pint, if you just found the podcast, you can learn more uh, about that. Uh, if you're in Houston, come out every other month. We have, I think in 2024, it's going to be every month we're going to have events. Nice. With craft beer. Uh, in fact, Juan Carlos is going to be uh, having a conversation with a fellow Protestant on the question of purgatory as an undercard to a main event debate between Trent Horn and James White on purgatory. I think that's February 18th or something. Anyway, you can go to the First Lutheran website and click the debate series to get your tickets for those sorts of things. Uh, but we, uh, at Theology by the Pint, we have friends in the in the Roman Catholic world, in the Protestant world, and we thought, let's get together, have friendly dialogue. You know, I think we all uh, want what is best for the world at large. We're not trying to uh, put people uh, into hell. Uh, we, we're, you know... Uh, <laughs> trying to we, take them out of hell. We, yeah, we're sure. trying to... We, we, we all have the goal of taking them out of hell. We all uh, have a love for the Scripture. We all would affirm the inerrancy of Scripture, as we talked about in the episode you heard a couple of weeks ago. So, um, but let's go around the horn again and, and introduce ourselves again. We should have brought a change of clothes so that the YouTube video is like different. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and I need to get pictures of y'all before you leave for the uh, thumbnail. But um, let's go this way this time. Okay. Yeah. My name is Michael Gormley. You can call me Gomer. Uh, I work for an organization called Paradisus Day, uh, specifically for That Man Is You, which is an international men's ministry. I have two podcasts, Catching Foxes, and uh, Every Knee Shall Bow. James Prather, uh, no podcast except this one, um, and I work at HoustonInstitute.org, or I work at Houston Institute, our website is HoustonInstitute.org, uh, write poetry, um, and uh, Houston Institute, we do literature and philosophy, I run the literature side of things there. And because Sarah's not here, I know that she would want me to say Houston Institute. Yeah, no, You're I, a I fast talker, so. HoustonInstitute.org. R there you go. G. <laughs> there you go. All right. And Juan Carlos Martinez, I'm a pastor in the Presbyterian Church in America here in Houston. Cool. All right. Well, um, if you listened last time, we we wanted to lay the groundwork on authority because really kind of all the debates come back to authority because yep. end up you end up with, say, various reformers saying, but the Bible says this and the Catholic Church says, well, the Bible also says this. Or maybe in addition to the Bible, there's this thing, you know, called the tradition that we can appeal to. Anyway, so we we, we, we didn't by any means cover no, all the No, I think we solved it. We all yeah. solved it. <laughs> yeah, we, so we, if, you, if you want to know about that, just go to the previous episode and we figured everything out. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, uh, but I didn't ask this in the last episode. Do you all have some resources other than your own you would point people to or, you know, in, ter in terms of if people want to dig into this more, <laughs> like some of your favorite guys? I don't know if you all like Catholic Answers, for example, or. Uh, yeah, I would answers. go Catholic.com. Uh, it's got some good stuff. Podcast, Council of Trent, Pints with Aquinas. Uh, you can find both of those on YouTube. I think those are good. Two uh, names I would give, Brent Petrie and Scott Hahn are, are good with. Scott Hahn's a convert, so he knows he answers these questions very well as he's gone through them himself. And Brent Petrie is an Old Testament scholar, maybe two, New Testament as well. But he has lots of good things to say about yeah. authority and all that. Yeah. Well, who, who do you like, JC? Who are your guys? 
Um, Actually, I just called you JC. It's, you you, yeah. didn't, so you cool. didn't even say I could do <laughs> so that. Cool. I'm sorry. <laughs> Paul, <laughs> Peter. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jesus R. Christ. R.C. Uh, Sproul, Sproul, who... Uh, I tried to get my hair like his yeah. <laughs> from the old 90s. <laughs> yeah, he's got good hair, man. He's got uh, good hair. Uh, R.C. Sproul is great just because he's so clear, right? Uh, so you can agree or disagree with him on this or that, but at least he is very good. He's a very good teacher. So mm. I like him um, at a popular level. Yeah, yeah. And um, I'm a James White fan. You know, I brought him to debate here several times. And But there are a lot of good debates out there. I mean, I, I, I think he's going against the best. You know, I mean, uh, Mitch Pacwa several times and mm-hmm. Robert Sungenis and, uh, and and Trent Horn, I think, at least once. Anyway, so, mm-hmm. yeah, so YouTube has a lot of stuff out there if you want to dig in. But even, even a three-hour debate on something like the topic of the infallibility of the Pope yeah. or the office of the priest, which is one of my favorites that James White did with Mitch Pacwa, even that, you still – you know, well, I need to go read books now, you know, because yeah. oh, yeah. I still need to keep getting deeper. But sure. so we're like, we're like the tip of the spear of the iceberg, right? That mixed metaphors, right? Uh, <laughs> the we're, we're, the top of the we're at the top of the iceberg. <laughs> There's a guy with a spear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. He's saying, here I stand. I can do yeah. no other. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so there's definitely, we, we're, we understand we can only be so comprehensive here. But for our audience, we're trying to introduce you to some of these concepts of, you know, why, why are there still these kind of divides with, you know, I think we all would... <laughs> would love to see you know there be more unity among Christians, Definitely, but we, yeah. we 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 find ourselves where we can't sacrifice these issues because we just yeah. don't think it's nor should possible. Yeah. Nor should we? Yeah, we should yeah. talk about them, and that's why we're here. I yeah, think. one of my favorite favorite stories about ecumenism, right? So I went, I was invited. My pastor was invited. He you couldn't go. Define that word. Uh, Christians working together and trying to resolve some of the doctrinal issues. But yeah. at the very least, it's praying together, working together. And uh, so there's a what, – what's the, the Presbyterian Church USA? That's the more it's liberal. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So he was a pastor and he started this face together and all this stuff. So my pastor was invited to come to a community college and do a – Christianity. This is, these are, it's a, it was like a continuing education thing. And so I represented all of Catholicism and, uh, he represented, uh, all of Protestantism. And we had a woman from Unity Circle of Light Church, mm-hmm. uh, which is not a church. And, mm-hmm. uh, they don't believe Christ is divine or anything. Like that. And it was the funniest part was, at the end, this guy, he's a, I'm a Jew from Brooklyn. And he goes, I can't tell the difference between what you two believe. Like, what's going on? And he says it to the one PCUSO pastor. and the unity yeah. of circle or law. No, no, between that and, and Catholic. He's like, you believe oh, Jesus? Oh. You believe all the same things? Oh, oh, oh. And then the yeah. pastor's like, he goes, tell me what's different. And the pastor, well, you know, the Lord loves us. And we believe that God is love and God brings us together and we all love each other. And he must have said love 400 times in about three and a half seconds. And he goes, and the guy goes, nah, shut up. You, <laughs> you tell me, what do you believe? And so I was like, well, we believe in the, we have Pope, we have this, we have this, and this. And then I talked for like two minutes, you know, and he goes, was that so hard? Was that so hard? Yeah. And in my head, I was thinking, for that guy and that approach, it yeah. really was. It was very like, hard, yeah. To me, I find, like, I know you, you had made a comment in the last video about, like, James White and stuff. I, I love listening to James White. I love listening to these people because, number one, it keeps him on my toes. Number two, um, like... I believe that Jesus Christ desires souls to be saved, right? And I don't know all the ends and ways that the Holy Spirit works in individual hearts. Like, you know, he moves and I'm not the one who gets to call the shots. Um, but I do believe, uh, obviously I'm a Catholic because I believe that Jesus Christ started the Catholic Church the way General Booth started the Salvation Army. But at the same time, I don't believe that people outside that are devoid. And so how disrespectful is it for us to pretend 
like there are no differences because I think in wrestling over these differences, there is an element of the truth that comes out all the brighter. Right. And so I love talking about this stuff. Thank you, you know, for having me here. This is awesome as a, you know, new guy here. So appreciate it. And I I agree with your sentiment. Good ecumenical or good ecumenism, good ecumenical conversations are where both sides say, this is what I believe. I'm not going to compromise for some kind of false unity. Yeah. That that always gets you in trouble. I mean, be who you are and say who you are. Can never sacrifice the truth for the sake of unity. Yeah. Yeah. We would agree there are Christians within the Roman Catholic Church. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yes. And there might uh, be some in Protestant churches too. Yeah, there might be. There might be. Yeah, we would agree there are many, uh, you know, having left a very liberal church body, I mean, that, you know, really went astray. So, you know, whenever the word Lutheran is used, you know, in connection to that church body, it, you know, pains me deeply because that's the furthest thing from what what Luther taught. So, um, yeah. And and as I said in the White Pill Radio episode, you know, uh, a while back now for our listeners, um, you know, I want I want the conservative uh, I, I want their Catholic Church to remain a, a bulwark, you know, of conservative teaching because you know some of us have left denominations. We don't have much air cover. We're kind of out here on our own, saying, mm. you know, it you know a, a man is a man or a woman is a woman. Sure. This is what marriage is, or or abortion is yeah. whatever. You know, and we're we don't have a lot of cover. So I need a conservative Catholic Church to kind of you know at least on those issues we can you know perhaps work yeah. together. Um, so, and that's the kind yeah. of ecumenism that I'm all for. I'm not for collapsing the distinctions in the hopes that, yeah. you know, magically we'll sing kumbaya. The, the yeah. ideal is, look, here's elements where we agree and we need to get each other's back on these mm-hmm. things because the world is ripping itself apart. Yeah. Right? I think yes. I, I would yes. certainly agree with that. And mm-hmm. I and I have I have more in common with a conservative Roman Catholic than I do with the, you know, the ELCA, you know, the, the liberal Lutherans. Right. Which is wild. Yeah. Right yeah. when you start to talk about this, the right. ELCA and the Presbyterian Church USA, USA the share Episcopal altars Church. and pulpits. Mm-hmm. The, the ELCA shares a pulpit and altar with the Disciples of Christ, with the Episcopal Church USA, PC USA, and United Methodist Church, and maybe the Reformed Church in America. <coughs> I mean, but they won't. They, but, but, but they won't, but they won't let me preach in their church, yeah. right? Which is fine, you know. Yeah. Um, I would only do so as like a mission. But um, yeah, and I, I would yeah. add also with the the. Um, Brooklyn Jew that you encountered, which was wild and amazing. I wish I it was could good impression. Shake that guy's You've definitely actor, practiced that. Or what? Yeah. Uh, for him, looking at Christianity, I mean, if we don't, <clears throat> if we don't seek some sort of unity, not a blind uh, trust in unity and uh, a soft kind of ecumenism, <clears throat> but some sense of unity, the rest of the world, which is ripping itself apart, is just going to be like, why would why would I possibly join Christianity? Because there's so it's so fractured, it's so divisive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think it's incumbent upon us as we see a world that's secularizing more and more and more yeah. to try to you know fix our own house and try to yeah. make it more attractive. Unity is what's attractive. Divisiveness is not. People don't want a Christianity buffet. It's it's not. Yeah. They need reasons to convert to Christianity, uh, and we ought to provide. I think unity is, is yeah. a good one for it. My favorite, my favorite Lutheran story. I have a class or a RCIA and bringing people into the church. And there were four Lutherans in there. And I was like, how important? I asked each one, how important was the works of Luther and Martin Luther in, in your family, your own faith? Oh my gosh. So important. Oh yeah. We had the work, complete work of Luther on our shelf. And oh yeah. Oh my gosh. It was so important. Blah, blah, blah. And it gets to the fourth person. And, uh, I said, well, how important, important, important was Martin Luther to you? And she goes, who? And then all three looked and they go, oh, ELCA. Yeah. And she goes, how did you know? 
<laughs> and they, they were all uh, Missouri Synod. They were all, yeah, they were all yeah. yeah, pretty funny. Well, <laughs> truth oh. is, even Luther, we we boil down to the greatest hits, you know, yeah. uh, or even attribute things to him that he didn't say. <laughs> um, well, speaking of Luther, let's let's kind of let's talk about the the issue that started it all. I guess the the uh, in a, in a roundabout way. Um, which is salvation or justification. You know, essentially the question is how is one made holy mm. before a, a holy God or how is one made or declared righteous before a holy God? These were, these were the big issues at the time. Yeah. Uh, you know, arguably, uh, most of Europe was really troubled. You know, uh, its conscience was not at peace with God. And so, uh, and Luther's was one such conscious. Uh, and so, um, why don't we do this? Why don't, um, Juan Carlos, uh, I'm kind of putting you guys on the spot and I'll let y'all decide who will do it for you, for, for, for y'all side, if you will. But, um, maybe kind of, uh, just explain, you know, how, how, how the, the Lutheran Calvinist strand of the Reformation would say a person is saved. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that gets to the heart of, of the matter, right? Even though, um, the question of authority is is the most important because that's how you adjudicate what is right and what is wrong. The the pressing point in the 16th century became the issue of justification, and um, you know how how do you define justification matters as well. Uh, but basically, the the reformers would argue that justification is a um, declaration that that God as as judge gives uh, where he declares somebody as being righteous um, not because of any inherent righteousness that they themselves have or have worked or have earned but because of the real righteousness that Christ has really worked and earned and that that righteousness is imputed to us uh, and that we receive that by faith so that even though we are not righteous in and of ourselves so that God is somehow in our debt we really are righteous because of the righteousness of another imputed to us. And, and, and that this justification is, is so just, is so right, that God would actually be, be wrong in judging us uh, on Judgment Day because, uh, and, and uh, judging our sin on Judgment Day because our sin has already been judged on Calvary on Jesus Christ, and He won't exact uh, that that penalty from us again. Of course, that has implications on all sorts of other doctrines, but essentially, it's that this it, it is a declaration as opposed to something that we inherently become righteousness. It's not that we're infused with righteousness; is that righteousness is imputed to us based on the work of another. And and again, for our audience, some of these concepts, if they're new, you know, I would say. Imputation and infusion; mm -hmm. th those mm -hmm. those are kind of maybe where the battle lines are drawn. Yeah. Um, and uh, so we'll we'll flesh that out as we go on. But just kind of keep that in the back in your back pocket. Yeah, yeah. And for Catholics, we largely believe the same thing in the sense that uh, you cannot merit or earn your salvation. Justification does not come by way of being good enough to earn. Like, what is salvation? Right, union with God forever. Uh, who? Could, what creature could earn that? Right. Not even the Blessed Virgin Mary could earn that. Right. No one can merit eternal life, and so we believe that it is solely through uh, God's grace and through faith that we come to believe in Christ, and through obviously we would say through baptism that life is poured into us. So we are infused. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. We are filled with the indwelling 
of the Trinity. It is not a mere legal declaration, which is what mm. imputed means in, in most contexts. It is not a declaration. It is an imparting of the life of God, uh, the radical newness of life imparted into us to make us a new creation. So from our standpoint as Catholics, you cannot earn your salvation. You cannot in any way, shape, or form earn that what we call initial justification, the act whereby we are placed in a right relationship with God. However, you can lose your salvation by um, sinning against uh, what we would call grievous sin or mortal sin. You can sin against uh, the very life of God that you have within you and only through repentance. Again, repentance, all of that is powered by the cross. So we're not seeking salvation outside of the death and resurrection of Jesus, but rather that powers all of our acts of repentance through his grace. So we all believe that we are saved by grace alone. Uh, no one believes other in this room. Uh, and so we would just talk about how that grace operates in our lives. So it's not that Catholics believe you're saved by faith and works and Protestants believe you're saved by faith alone. Uh, we all believe that without faith, there's nothing that we can do to please God, right? Yeah. Nothing. There's not a single thing that I can do to please God. Okay. Uh, a good, a nice little pithy formulation from St. Athanasius is, you know, God became man to the man might become God, right? There, there's a, I think the East uh, has this a lot more prominently than the West typically does. There's a sense in which the Catholic Church is at home with the, the theosis idea to where uh, God is actively trying to make you a son of God, right? And he's doing that here on earth through the sacraments, through your own faith, through the reciprocity between sacraments and faith, obviously. The, reciprocity, uh, great word. Thanks. Great I, word. I practice that a lot. Um, the sacraments are not, that's not a, uh, you know, a vending machine, right? Mm -hmm. You have to, you have to come with your own interiority and yeah. having been fully surrendered to Christ, uh, so that, that he begins to work within you. Um, but I think, yes, I agreed the, the fault line between imputation and infusion, kind of a, a legal, um, declaration. Although the Catholic Church would also say there's some, there's, there's a legal analogy there that, that can be used, but it's not maybe the best, uh, version. The, the best version being a little bit what, uh, Gomer outlined. And I think, but one, one way in which, and you just tell me, Evan, if I'm going too fast here, but one way in which to kind of shed light on the, the two infusion versus imputation is to look at what both sides think God is. Because I think that's, that's ultimately, if we're going to talk about sanctification, if we're talking about justification and God's work in us, we often talk a lot about what that looks like on our side. But if we talk about what God actually is, that clarifies a lot our interaction with him and how he could possibly sanctify us. Um, so at least my understanding of the Protestant view, and I know this is the Catholic view, God in the Catholic view, this is called classical theism. I think it's shared variously throughout Protestantism, but in, Catholic, in the Catholic Church, divine simplicity is uh, dogma, right? And that mm. is uh, absolutely divine had to be yeah. has to be held. Um, is this Thomism when we talk about Thomas? Is it? I mean, it predates Thomas. Yeah, but, yeah. It's oh, okay. it goes back a, a long way. I mean, it's part of Thomism. Thomism okay. would be larger than that. Um, for listeners that are not familiar with this, which I know is a lot of people, um, the idea is God is not a being like Evans a being uh, that cameras a being, right? God is being itself, right? So he is, um, he transcends our categories, defines and transcends our categories. Um, and so it's capital B being, it, Thomas would say, the sheer active to be itself. Um, and with that, the way that affects this conversation, I know I, that's, that's a brief gloss. Please go deeper into that because I can change your whole life real quickly. Um, 
podcast. I know it was awesome, but I just wanted to tell you that Theology on Tap is growing. We are now a standalone ministry, an independent nonprofit, and to grow, we need your help. We're offering more live events, more follow-up opportunities to reach the unchurched, and increased partnerships with local churches. You can help us grow by praying for us, by telling your friends or church about us, and of course, partnering with us financially. To donate, go to houstontot.com forward slash give. Okay, enjoy the rest of the show. The way we interact with being itself um, is, yes, the way in which he's revealed himself to us and whatnot. But it's not a, there's not that separation of this this declaration kind of exteriorly to me. Rather, there's, there's, I am a being, this participating in, and capital B being, uh, so that there's, it's a participant within my own self. And so it's not, it's not just that Christ has covered me over, it's that uh, he is, yes, infusing. And I think that's the background infusing. Whereas, and tell me if this is right, I may be misunderstanding some Protestantism. I don't know how often that's held in Protestantism that God, this classical theist proposition that God is Bigby being uh, sometimes, at least I know, I know William Lane Craig, which y'all, y'all don't agree with him, um, but he'll say God is a being in the world, right? Or, or yeah. God is a creator, yeah. but he's not, he's not being uh, itself. Well, we would go so far as to say that, I mean, technically, God doesn't exist. God is, yeah. right? Even yeah. the word exist being composed of two parts of uh, coming, standing out of. Yeah. Well, God yeah. doesn't stand out of anything. He is. So we right. agree with that. Okay, yes. Yeah. And, and yeah, Thomas course, would say essence yeah. and existence are, I think you. that's probably what you would yeah. probably agree and with. And God, God, God's own name is, you know, I am. Right, so yeah. It, it, that, that makes sense. Um, yeah. You know, Luther had this this analogy where he talked about the covering, you know, of righteousness. You know, he said, I'm basically a dunghill, you know. Yes. Poop. You know, it, it always got down to poop with Luther. But anyway, so <laughs> I, I'm a dunghill, right? <laughs> but when it when it, when the snow comes, mm-hmm. right? And it, and it beautifully and evenly covers, you know, this dunghill. It's like a mm-hmm. perfectly covered thing. So maybe that's, uh, I don't know, imputation, the covering that's of righteousness. Perfect. Whereas you would say... No, it's more like a gopher who goes up through the dunghill and eats it and creates, I don't know, a beautiful I, flower. I think, or I think it'd be simple as somebody pooped on a snow hill. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's a dung covered snow. We better get off this analogy quick. Okay. <laughs> okay. This is, but, this but, is getting intense. Yeah. Okay, but wait a minute. But, it, so, but it, it's, yeah. it's helpful to, I think yeah. that, that's a very stark image that, that shows the two sides. Yeah. One is, uh, you know, imputation. You have the dung, uh, which is the nice word you can say there, with snow over the top. The other one, you have snow within and then dung over the top. Okay. Well, who's the dung in that one? Our own sinfulness is what he said. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Within us. Yeah. I gotcha. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. That's I, thought, I thought we were clear on what the <laughs> <Yeah>. was. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I only understand it from Luther's point yeah. of view. But let me let me ask this question and then it's it sounds like we agree. So, let's let's figure out where we disagree. Yeah. But um, – you, you alluded to it, but I think it is the core of the disagreement, which is this Roman Catholics will say that we have a legal fiction, like that, that, that are, that we have a legal kind of forensic declaration. Alien, it, external and forensic declaration of my righteousness. Okay. As that's what Luther taught, right? Yeah. And we hold that God's declaration, because he is, you know, by his word, he creates that which he declares also comes to be, which isn't that he just declares us righteous and we maintain mm-hmm. our, sinful unrighteous state but we are made holy right and so are we are sanctified so the way thomas describes it, saint thomas aquinas describes it is an entitative habit entity meaning the very being that i am god uh suffuses with his with his holy spirit with his presence right 
So his grace, we call it sanctifying grace. His sanctifying grace takes me from a state of wretchedness, of, of original sin, of being cast out, being under the reign of sin, the dominion of darkness, and he places us in the kingdom of light. He adopts us as his children. So for Catholics, salvation is not just preservation from hell, right? Saving, being saved from hell. It is being saved from uh, all of it, right? You could say all of the reign of sin, as St. Paul says in Romans 5. But principally, it is from those things that I'm saved, I'm saved for something greater, which is to be an adopted child of God, right? In Christ Jesus. So, Well, I think the, we would agree with that. Yeah. Right, right, right. And to be clear. Okay. The, the emphasis for Catholics is what we will have in heaven for all eternity is begun here and now, mm-hmm. right? In the newness of life that we have. We walk as as uh, in the kingdom of light now, right? So that is where the infusion of divine grace, that's where that changes us, right? It starts now and only grows or is hindered in growing in our own sinfulness. But then in heaven, uh, yeah, that's, you know, there's no more sin in heaven. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's very similar. Uh, yeah. I think that, you know, we certainly wouldn't, we, we don't hold to infusion, but we believe that we really are changed. It's not simply that here's this declaration that has no uh, basis in reality. Mm-hmm. It has the basis on the most important event, right? And and the life, not just the event, but the life mm-hmm. of Jesus Christ, uh, both his passive obedience on the cross and his active obedience to to the law, that it really is credited to us. Uh, and so in that sense, it's a declaration, but he's just and justifier because he, he decrees it, but he also accomplishes it himself. And so I truly become, I am holy, I, I, but I, I'm holy not because of any inherent merit, but because of the work of another. Now, we believe that we are changed. We are born again, truly, in this life. We are indwelled with the Holy Spirit. So there is a change. We have passed from death to life, from darkness to light. Uh, and and so that that is very real. And in that sense, we have also begun uh, to, to live as new creation. And, and that will continue until eternity. So I think... The uh, the implications of the change sound similar. Mm-hmm. Um, the I think that the 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 difference, some of the difference, has to do with the way that we would interpret justification and and sanctification yeah. uh, as two separate things. Uh, with one being a declaration that is forensic, essentially in his nature, and the other one being an ontological, mm. ongoing change that de- conforms us to the image of we Christ. Define those words. Forensic yeah, so 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 forensic legal, uh, a, a legal courtroom declaration of innocence mm-hmm. and and then ontological in terms of our being, being transformed, being conformed more and more to the image of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit as we walk in those good works that the Lord has prepared beforehand that we might walk in them. He, so, so we're called to holiness. It pleases the Lord that we be holy. We If, if we don't have... If we say we have faith but have no works, then our faith is dead, as James uh, so aptly puts it. And and so we we expect to have good works. We ought to. If we don't have good works, we should not trust in our in our uh, declaration of allegiance to Christ and in our so called faith. But it is not the good our works that save us or that make us holy. It's the works of of Christ. It is the work of another. It's a law that has been manifested apart from the law, as Paul would uh, yeah. say in, in Romans three and four. To be to be a little pithy. You know, and it's a bit of a cliche, but Luther talks about this paradox of being simultaneously saint and sinner. Mm-hmm. I'd be kicked out of Lutheranism if I didn't say that at some point in this podcast series. <laughs> so, yes, we are. We I, I would 
I think there is a with the forensic declaration is an ontological change in the person. We are a saint, and yet we observe that we continue to sin. So mm-hmm. we so how can we be both? And you know we can, I, that's where we get accused of being appealing to mystery because we kind of throw up our hands and say I don't know, but we believe both things are true. We are both saint and sinner, and so our our sainthood is the the forensic act that's that's our justification, but the growth in holiness is our sanctification. Mm-hmm. Now, the so y'all would agree. For example, my understanding of Roman Catholic baptism is at that moment all sins, all, all original sin and previous sins are forgiven, and there, there is therefore this new creation in this person. Right at yep. the act mm-hmm. of baptism, there is yep. an ontological yep. change in the person. Okay, now, um, but you would, but you also have to deal with the sticky wicket, just like by the way, Baptists, right, who are twenty five and get baptized, and then mm-hmm. they have to deal with this problem of, huh, I still sin. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it all went away. Y'all deal so, with that. Yes. I, I, oh, oh, I, I do we deal with it? Well, how, how do we? We don't have confession. Yeah, well, I'm, as I'm a third sacrament. Well, some, yeah. some Lutherans do. Well, actually, I offer it as a, as a, as a, a yeah. practice at least, you know, once a year, you know, where people can come and do private confession. And I, I'm part of a, a ministerium which offers it at every retreat. So I do think it's good for the soul. It's, and, and it was almost a sacrament in the Lutheran understanding. But mm-hmm. here's, here's, I'm talking, okay. yeah. giving all this background to yeah. get to this point. From your point of view, you would say to deal with this sticky wicket of continuing to be a sinner, you have to deal with that through confession. Confession is a sacrament. You, mm-hmm. you must go to confession, confess your sins, and be given penance. And I want to st- you yeah. know, highlight that word. There's a lot of confusion about that. Yeah. Yeah. But, but you, you're, mm-hmm. give, you're assigned penance by the priest. You do yeah. the penance, and then absolution is effected. I don't know if you have to go back no. for absolution no. or the, upon, well, upon the doing of. it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So when we talk about confession, again, I want to highlight – for those who think that the sacraments are just more works, right? Jesus died for us. I have faith on Jesus. Anything you add to it is man-made, blah, blah, blah. And that's not what the Catholic Church believes. What we believe is the sacraments are Christ working in us today. God works not, through nature. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and the sacraments. And in a unique way, when we, when the priest baptizes, we say it's not the priest that baptizes, Christ who baptizes. What are the sacraments? The seven sacraments. So you got the three of initiation, baptism, communion, and confirmation. Then you have the two um, states of life, which is holy orders and matri- holy matrimony. And then you have the holy two of Holy orders death. like priesthood. Priesthood, okay. yeah. Deacons, priests, and bishops. And then you have um, the sacraments of the sick or dying, which is, or sacraments of death. So confession and anointing of the sick. So for- But you do confession- Regularly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, but so regular a, confession, frequent okay. confession is... But you don't know when you'll die, so... Right, is okay. a more modern turn, right? Okay. So in the practice of the church, penances were very much... I mean, sin was taken very seriously. So number one, sin is very serious. Mm-hmm. And we have to... And this is the thing that I love about someone like uh, uh, Karl Barth and people like R.C. Sproul. They take sin very seriously. It's and the, the problem... And, and Richard... Uh, Reinhardt, um, Niebuhr and, and, and his brother, they took sin seriously and we've lost the sense of sin. So in the Catholic church, the understanding of sin is every sin that I commit, right? Re- requires of me an act of repentance, right? And if not just grievous sin, any sin that I commit requires for me an act of repentance because it offends my father whom I should love above all things. So when I go to confession, I am not. Uh, I am not adding to anything more than what I would say any Christian uh, understanding of forgiveness. Forgiveness is solely done through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Certain confessionals, the old confessionals where you kneel on either side and the priest is in the middle, um, has like would have the feet of the crucified Lord 
above them so that you would understand I'm at the foot of the cross, mm-hmm. right? Like a statue, whatever. So um, the, the confessional, going to confession, you confess your sins in an act of repentance, right? Then you're given absolution, right? I absolve you. And, and it's actually a beautiful prayer because it's not like the priest saying, because I'm so holy, I give you this. He just said through the ministry that, well, he says, uh, God has reconciled the world through the death and resurrection of his son. May God grant you pardon and peace. And I absolve you of your sins in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And then you say, amen. Then he'll give you a penance or, you know, whatever. Then you go and do your penance. And the penance is not, this is a misunderstanding. It's not a thing I do to earn the forgiveness I was just given. It is remedial for the types of sins that I confessed, right? So some of those is like, you are inattentive to prayer. So often my penances are read the penitential Psalms in the Bible, right? So um, Psalm 51, right? Have mercy on me, God, in your goodness and your abundant compassion, blot out my offense, right? That notion of turning to that or, or Psalm 22, I just got the other day, not because I'm a sinner, but uh, the understanding is I'm repenting and I'm going back to the cross and I'm trying to fundamentally break with my attachment to sin. Now we call that satisfaction. And that's another term that's loaded because it's tied to Christology, soteriology. It's tied to what Christ accomplished for our sins, uh, how he saves us. Um, but it's not meant in the same way. Satisfaction is understood. Like I'm doing my penance. Like if I stole money, I'm, I'm not, I can't steal money, then go to confession and confess it. Yeah. And then not return it. Part of it is returning what I stole and, and doing these things. So the act of repentance is I'm choosing a new way of life. I'm returning to the newness of life that Christ died and rose to give me. So it's not something extraneous, but we believe that it really is the forgiveness of God. Whoever sins you retain, they are retained. Whoever sins you forgive, they are forgiven them. And this is all tied to what Christ accomplished for us in the death and the resurrection. Gomer, that's really helpful. Uh, what ha- what would happen if you, you go to confession, you confess your sin, right? And then you get this uh, penance and you don't, you say, you know what? I don't want to do it. Yeah. And, and it's not just that maybe you could, weren't able to do it because something happened, mm-hmm. but you actually don't want to do it. What's, is that when, is, is that sin taken care of in purgatory or that lack of satisfaction or how, how does, how do you process that? So you would process it like, like anyone would an act of fundamental disobedience, right? Like lawful authority told me to, to do this in response to my sin. And I not like as a Catholic, I, I understand this is, this is given to me to be a remedy. So one time my brother, God bless him, was going through a horrible multi-year addiction struggle. And then I got him to go to confession for the first time, right? So I spent all this time with him. He goes into confession. He comes out. He has a very light penance. I go into confession and I get pray the rosary every day until Thanksgiving. <laughs> and it was September. And I was like, what is this? And I told my brother and he's like, I what did you get? What did you say in there? Right. So the priests understood. And you that said it's confidential. <laughs> <laughs> or you thought you were bad. Yeah. Or else the wish doesn't come true. Yeah. No, that's yeah. not true. Yeah, um, yeah. But the the understanding of it was the penance is a remedy. So his penance was light because he's a sinner returning to God and doesn't understand and doesn't live the life. The priest judged by how I went to confession that I am trying to live the life. And I could bear a bigger mm. penance in terms of. I need to, because part of it was my spiritual life was waning. So if I just say, I'm not going to do what that guy told me to do, that is, I would just say, yes, your sins are forgiven in absolution, but you end up uh, having a spirit, uh, an obstinate spirit of disobedience, right? In that moment, right? It's you're the, the church gave this priest to be a guide and you're like, I don't care about that, right? If now if they say something irrational, right, then obviously yeah. reason. So let me let me take yeah. all that and I want to take it right back to the the reformation. Um because 
So we we would all agree that repentance is part of the Christian life. Yeah. You know, there are actually some Christians who probably think not that once you become a Christian, you're perfect or something like that. We would all disagree with that. Um, so we think repentance is part of the Christian life. So the very first two of Luther's 95 theses, and by the way, I was not checking my text messages when I was looking at my phone. <laughs> I, mean, I, was, I, I was looking this up. I, uh, I was so, on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, but the very first two of the 95 Theses, the famous, you know, October 31st, 1517, that's when Luther nailed these theses on this door to start a debate, et cetera, et cetera. He says, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ says, repent ye, et cetera, he means that the entire life of the facial should be one of repentance. Okay. Uh, then the second one is that statement cannot be understood of the sacrament of penance, i.e. confession and satisfaction, which is administered by the priesthood. Now, why does he make that distinction? Because he felt that the Catholic Church at the time was exercising, and when when you see like with the sale of indulgences, right, where you could literally pay money to get out of purgatory sooner and things of this nature, uh, or you could take a pilgrimage, which arguably is a work, right? That would be the debate. Or you could go to a reliquary and look at, you know, the piece of the cross of Christ and get years off of purgatory for this. That those are acts of doing penance, where the Catholic Church sort of was holding that over a person's soul, saying, oh, you want forgiveness for your sin? You want to be made righteous? You have to do penance. And the Bible says, Jesus says, John the Baptist says, do penance, because of the Latin translation mm -hmm. or something to that effect. Luther's point was, that isn't what it says. It says, we are to be repentant. And that speaks, I think, to the—so it's actually we're found on the opposite side of the original conversation about dunghills. I think what Luther was speaking to was the inward nature of the person, the, the, the reality that the person should be repentant. That's very different from an outward organization, if you will. That's a—I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean an outward institution saying, do penance. So let me just ask this—we agree we all need to be repentant. Like, yeah. it's a mm -hmm. spiritual condition, yeah. right? Like, to deal with our sin. Yeah. We, we all agree on that. Okay. I think at the time, though, I'm not sure that is what was at least popularly taught in the Catholic Church, which gave rise to, I think, the need for the Reformation, for someone to say, because Luther kind of famously went to confession hours and hours and hours of time and tried to confess every mm -hmm. sin. And finally, he, you know, you know, his, anyway. His confessor told him. Yes, Go read Romans. Yeah. Because he was, was – Luther was an interesting case because he was scrupulous. Yeah. And yeah. there are souls who are scrupulous. They see sin where there is no sin. Yeah. And people can abuse sacraments just like they can abuse anything, right? Yeah. You, you know, plenty of Christians play Bible roulette. I'm going to do what God tells me. Uh, Judas went out yeah. and hung himself. Go there and do likewise. Oh, no. Right? Like, right. It's, it's a bad, bad motive. So let's not – like, the importance of understanding, go and do penance, the Latin word – uh can be translated repentance and, you know, right for repent and do penance. The understanding of it is the doing of penance is the life of repentance, mm. right? Now, the, the, the problem is you can have people who treat their Christian faith as sheer externals. I go here, I show up at church, I'm a Christian. It's like, no, but you don't believe. Well, I mean, I, I believe in God and stuff. I mean, you've met parishioners that are like this. They have a, they have a half-hearted faith. Are they saved? Are they not saved? Thank God it's not up to me, but they don't really seem like they're disciples or all that interested in being disciples of Christ. So there are people who treat the sacraments that way. I'm baptizing my kid. Why? Because it's a thing you do because I'm at summer camp because of whatever. There are people pray the sinner's prayer just because they're at summer's camp, all the things. So we all know 
whatever external that we offer as an institution can be abused by people for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. So there are people who abuse the sacrament of confession in the same way. I'm not really repentant. I'm just going to do this thing because my mom is forcing me. I'm here. Cultural acts of repentance. Yep. The A good thing about having a severe penance, what we would call today severe penance, is that it ends that pretty immediately. People don't casually approach the sacrament of confession when you know that for the next seven years you're going to eat bread and water as an outward sign of your interior penance. If you look in the Catechism of the Catholic Church on this topic, before it talks about confession, it talks about interior penance. If you are not repenting from your heart, right, then you don't get to repent with your lips, right? When he quotes Isaiah, these people, right, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. I say that about every Roman Catholic, right? But it's not that God, that every Roman Catholic has this mentality, but it's not like God doesn't want people to praise him with their lips. Is he wants it to start with the heart, right? Mm -hmm. And the same is true about repentance. There are many Catholics who were taught how to go to confession that weren't really taught how to repent. They don't understand they don't love God. They don't have a, a desire to overcome their sin. They don't desire to grow in grace. And those are abuses of the sacrament. And the church would say so. And the priest is obligated as a minister of the sacrament if he detects that to challenge that in the person. And the Catholic Church takes very seriously the claim that Jesus said in, in John's gospel, where he breathed on him saying, uh, receive you the Holy Spirit as the Father has sent me, so I send you. Whoever sins you forgive, they are forgiven them. Whoever sins you retain, they are retained. That a priest can say within the confessional, I, you are not demonstrating that you are repentant in any way. You're flippant, you're arrogant, you're whatever. Uh, I am not going to forgive you. And that's very rare, but for a priest to be that bold, but they can retain and refuse to grant absolution. To someone. Now, all they have is the external form, the conversation, whatever, but they can ask questions. Well, and that's the key, right? So mm -hmm. um, in, in the Protestant world, we would say that uh, what, ha what happens at the cross is definitive, right? There, there's, no, um, the, there's no priest that then gets to uh, administer from the treasury of merit uh, and say, you get some grace, and, but you don't get some grace. Because um, those who truly know the Lord... The Lord knows them, right? So, so it's something that it, it, it's you, it's inevitable that you will be saved if you truly belong to the Lord. He will not lose a single one. So, what would be the consequence of, uh, if, if, uh, as a Roman Catholic, you go to, uh, confession, but you don't either, you don't, you don't feel it in your heart, right? You're, you're being flippant, or maybe you're a really good actor, right? And, and the priest doesn't catch on to it. Um, what, what happens to that person? Baptized Roman Catholic, unrepentant, uh, of whatever sin, maybe yeah. maybe it's not a terrible sin, but it's a it's a sin nonetheless. What 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 happens to them? Are, are, is there salvation at at, uh, at risk? Um, yes. Yeah. So so salvation is at risk. Yeah. The yeah. interior you can the exterior does not overcome interior fault. As Saint Thomas Aquinas said, the sacraments don't make you sincere. So they're you so approach they're, with sincerity. So there is it, but is it because they aren't truly Christian uh, and have never been? Or is it no. that they were Christians but fell? Yeah, it's good. Uh, so, so then there is a gap. Yeah, there, there, there is a gap between what is acceptable to God for eternal communion with Him and where we stand. That that actually depends on what I do or not do. If I don't repent, if I or if I don't do the acts of penance, maybe, maybe I repented when I went to the priest, but then something happens and I decide I'm not going to do it for whatever reason, and I'm wrong. Um, there, there's this gap that I need to fill with my action, uh, that if I don't do it, 
I'm at risk of not being in eternal communion with the Lord. Is, is that, that right? Is that not the case with y'all? Uh, no. Well, because you would, I mean, you were you were just saying that, uh, yes, well, I think we both agree that there's an internal aspect and there's an external aspect and the internal is primary. But if someone has an internal experience of the presence of God and a belief in the presence of God, but does not act it out by doing what is uh, said to do in the Bible, would that not create the same gap? No, no. And not in the sense that we would say, I, I don't know the Lutherans, but uh, Calvinists would say that that person is not a Christian. And, and so, so then the, inter- the interior, uh, what happened interiorly was false. Or yes, because the, the, you know them by their fruit and their fruit clearly does not deter- not doesn't show that they actually were. So that if you actually are a Christian, that you there is no gap because Christ has done it all. It is finished. He has canceled the debt that I had uh, by nailing it to the cross. So there's nothing else I, I, I can do. He's done it all. Um, and now my good works are evidence of a change heart. It's not a um, a filling of any gap that, that, I, that I'm at this level when I get first baptized, but then because I sin, I'm over here, and then the sacraments get me back, and the sacraments get me back. It's not that. The sacraments are very important. Uh, they are the gospel to all of our senses. We are nourished by Christ. We are strengthened in our faith, but, but they're not salvific. They are, um, they, they are works that, uh, that conform us to, to Christ. We're already saved because the salvation does not depend on us. It depends on the finished work of Jesus Christ. I think there's a difference there. It, it, it seems like, tell me if I'm misunderstanding. It seems like there, with you demonstrating with your hand, there's a yeah. certain buy-in or a certain standard that you're getting to, right? And salvation. Perfect holiness, yes. Right. But, also, but you're not perfectly, or I don't, I don't know you very well, but yes. you're, yeah, I'm not. you're not perfectly holy. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, He's not, but he is. <laughs> yeah, that's right, because that's so, the saint that, sinner. Yes, yes, but yes. I think the, the, the issue there is, um, well, one, I just think, I think that way of looking at it is hamstringed in a certain way because you're not, uh, you're always, how would you, how would you possibly know? Are you doing, are you living exactly like Christ is living um, in, in the Bible? If you, so you have this interior feeling, you have this, this conviction, which I had, I'm sure you had as well, and plenty of Catholics have as well. It's, it's the process of conversion. Um, but then when you go to live it out, you're not fully living out every single thing that's here, right? And so you're not, you, you're never achieving that, that standard. Um, and I, I just yes. think that the, it's so the binary thing where if the, if it's zeros, you know, the whole world zeros and ones, right? And if you have the interior conviction, then you're a one. If you don't, you're a zero. Uh, if you have the interior conviction, but you don't act it out, then you were never a one, you were a zero. Um, it, it practically speaking, I know lots of my friends that are Protestants that it's, how do you, how do you know for sure that it's, that you are really saved, right? Because the the exterior acts. Well, I I don't do plenty of exterior acts, right? I don't I don't live exactly like Christ said or did, uh, or I know people that are doing a lot better than I do. How do I know that my interior act is truly legitimate? Right. Um. And yeah. so, and I I feel like I personally was stuck in that for a little bit. Well, because it depends on the uh, from the Protestant perspective, it it depends on the love of God, right? So we have the internal witness of the Holy Spirit who bears witness with our spirit that we are really sons of God. And, and so that I am convinced that life or neither life nor death nor any power or principality can separate me from that love. Um, and, and, but it's an internal witness of the Holy Spirit that is bared out by the fruit in our lives. Again, I, I can say I believe I can have a feeling, right? Mm-hmm. But if, but if my, if there's no fruit, it's not that I have lost salvation is that I actually don't have it. Christ is in my Lord. Um, so, you know, and the, 
the gospel according to John, for example, makes it clear that these things are written so that you may believe uh, that he is the Christ and, and believing you may be saved. Uh, or in First John, it talks about that you can know that you're saved, mm. right? So, so you, you can know these things, but, but the key point is that I, I don't know that I'm saved because I meet perfect obedience. I know that I don't. That is the standard. Mm-hmm. It's not that God says, well, you know what? Well, let me lower the standard because they're not, not good enough. And in fact, I lower it so much that there are going to be some people that are so good that actually go above and beyond and we'll just take extra from there and put it in this treasury over here. And then we'll have the priesthood to dispense from that treasury according to what they see. Well, here's somebody who's faithful to the teachings of the church and here's someone who's not. So we'll give it over here. That's, that's a foreign concept in the way that we would interpret scripture. Uh, and and the mechanism of salvation, both by the way uh, for for being saved, but also that's also how we fall into sin to begin with. In this same uh, federal headship of Adam, uh, in you know Romans mm-hmm. five, uh, Paul explains this uh, with this particular example. But it, with, with in Adam we all sin and we all fall and are condemned. But in Jesus Christ, the second Adam, the last Adam, mm-hmm. uh, because of his obedience, we all have eternal life. Those who are in him. Uh, so so it's it's the work of another. Uh, yeah. Because of because in, so in our case it would be in, in our understanding of covenant that makes it entirely fair and just and good both my being condemned through the work of Adam I am guilty and have sinned in him uh, but also by the same mechanism the second Adam's righteousness is is imputed to me and I really am saved and I really am made holy and he meets the standard and and again as as Paul explains in Colossians two. My, the, my, my record of debt has been canceled. And it's not just, well, up to what point? Up to the beginning? No, no. My record of debt has been canceled entirely. How? Jesus nails it to the cross. Uh, and so based on that perfect act of obedience or perfect life of obedience and uh, based on his act of um, satisfaction, uh, then I know that I am atoned. My sin is atoned for and I am redeemed through the work of Christ. So then let me, let me just say a couple things, because I think that's super fascinating. When we talk about this from a Catholic perspective, we talk about the capacity to lose your salvation. And part of it is on the issue of assurance. Like, how do I know that I'm saved, even though I'm wrestling with sin? Right. And I think this is a very common thing. Like, let's just take, you know, we're all men here uh, on uh, uh, (laughs) this episode. One of the most common things pastorally that we deal with is people addicted to pornography, right? It's widespread. Um, and so what happens? Someone goes and they, they have a profound encounter with Christ in prayer or preaching. They repent. They give their lives to the Lord. You know, they accept Christ as their Lord and Savior. They belong to the church. They're living this life for a while and then they backslide. And then they find that they have habitual sin. So the turning to pornography, masturbation, drunkenness, maybe whatever it might be, living the college lifestyle, whatever. And they're constantly struggling against this sin. And then they say, well, how do I know that I was saved? Right? Because by their fruits, you shall know them. But it seems that I have now acquired a habitual sin that is a wicked fruit, right? Like we would all agree that 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 sin's evil. Mm -hmm. And so this person who had a legitimate and is struggling with this sin and, you know, repents, but then now is discouraged. And they say, they go to their pastor Maybe their, their friend got saved at the same event, right? Received Christ, you know, I mean, we can use different language, born again, whatever. And they go in and he says, listen, my buddy, he left the church. Like, I'm, I'm scared for his salvation. He's like, well, you know, maybe he was never really saved to begin with. 
And then you sit there and you're like, well, I was saved, you know, at the same time, at the same place. We were prayed to get over together. How do I know that I'm not? And on top of that, I'm struggling now after I became a Christian with pornography, with a, with a, a, a real addiction that I can't get rid of. And if it's by their fruits, you shall know them. When does my sin actually show me that I'm not saved, that I'm not a member of the elect, right? As, as, uh, what's his name said, you know, if I could look, lift up everyone's shirt and see an E tattooed on them, then I'd only preach to them. But, you know, you don't know who's saved, so you preach to all. But for Catholics, the understanding is the once for all death of Christ and his eternal merits. I, they're, they're a font that is never exhausted. And I continually return in an act of repentance. And the funny thing is there is a parallel in Protestantism, especially in American Protestantism, where you have these renewal and rededication to my dedication to my rededication mm-hmm. where, you know, they go to this event and they're like, but I'm still struggling with this sin. And my friend who backslid, he now has gone, but I'm struggling with this. So how do I know now that I'm saved? Right. How? What pastoral advice would you say to someone who feels like now they're lost in more sin? Well, well, go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, well, I'll tell a story. Uh, I'll make it real brief. Someone came to individual confession with that sin, and they came back, and I think they came back a third time, and then I did invoke the Office of the Keys. And I said, look, I can proclaim forgiveness, but there comes a point where unless you do everything you can to kill this sin, then I'm going to withhold, you know, we're going to retain the sin, you know. And... um I think he realized, oh, this is serious now. It's not cheap grace. Yeah. And um, from what I can tell, the sin was – he didn't come back after that. So either he did it in secret or he mm. he, 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 he defeated it or she. And um, – No one knows. Yeah. And um, <laughs> so – but I said, you know, it, it was one of those things where it was like, well, look, if this is a problem, you need to take the internet out of your house. Yeah. Well, I can't do that. Well – you know, I mean, we all have choices can. to make, yeah. you know, yeah, you or, can, right? or you need to, you know, yeah. have no computer or have a flip phone or, you know, whatever you have to mm-hmm. take these steps. Don't you feel to, like to Jesus do. was talking about this when he said hands removed and eyes plucked <laughs> it out? It makes you right? wonder. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mars a little uncomfortable when I read that passage from the pulpit. Yes. You know? um, so I, I, it's, it's a, it's a hard call. I mean, I think it, there's a lot of discernment. Every right. single human being in every situation is differently, but that's how I've handled it. You know, I think, I think we have to be unafraid and saying, by the way, I think some of these questions of like perseverance of the saints or can you lose your salvation? Like, I mean, Trent Horn and James White did a debate on that question. From my point of view, I think both of them did a great job, but from my point of view, they were talking past one another a little bit because I do think that someone can be a Christian and have an experience of it, but not be of the elect. You know, so I I don't think the elect can ever lose their salvation by definition, but I think a self-proclaimed professing Christian can become not a professing Christian, you know, as we see that in the New Testament. So, uh, but, but that said, um, you know, um, I don't know that we have a, a, a really easy answer to this. Mm -hmm. I, I, I. I, I really don't. I, I think that the best we can sort of do is say, if we believe in sanctification and we believe that a, a – a, I think we would all agree that we're a better person today than we were 10 years ago, right? I mean, I would hope so. No. It was, you know? no. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't have yeah, we got around. <laughs> yeah. So, I, but I mean, like yeah. in all seriousness, I think that there are things that we do struggle with and we, th- there yeah. Are, yeah. we think I'll never overcome it, but we do. Yeah. But we find another sin. Right. You know, another something else comes in, and then we have to work to defeat that. Yeah. So, so while well, still making yeah. progress, though, I think that's what's fascinating. We find other sins, but there's at least 
uh, and and my, reflecting my own life, yeah, sure, I'm still mired in sin, but the sins are not as uh, grave or serious, which maybe another podcast yeah. at all. But um, like in the Catholic sense, mortal sin, you can leave behind mortal sin, and you can have you know your your many days with venial sin of it recognizing, okay, I'm still within sin, mortal but I'm being progressing. Like deadly. Puts you outside of the yes, kingdom. Yes. Venial being moderate sin. That James you can chapter two is where you can okay. like if you want to yeah. see in the Bible. Um, yes, uh, you were going to say something. No, and I think that there's a distinction for a lot of – that I find extremely helpful as a Catholic of the distinction between mortal and venial sin. All right, mortal sin is that which kills. Venial sin is that which wounds. You can – mortal sin is a rejection of God's love for you, right, by choosing something that is gravely wrong. All sin is wrongdoing, right? All sin is wrongdoing. But there is some sins that are mortal. And some sins that are not mortal. That's what um, First John chapter five. That's how it talks about it. So if we understand, or yeah, if we understand right. a distinction there, that then then you look back at like First Corinthians chapter six. Do you not know that the immoral will not inherit the kingdom of God? And he's writing the letter to Christians, and he's saying that they are that that the immoral and he lists sins. And as Catholics. Part of those various lists of sins that are given are what we would call mortal sins, yeah. right? So we go through, these are grave sins that when committed, deny the grace of God in our lives and need a new act of repentance in order to reconcile back with Christ. And because I have willfully chosen, I need to willfully return, yeah. right? It is not, and that itself is all grace, right? As Catholics, we believe the desire to repent. Even the desire to have the desire to repent. Some poor person lost in habitual sin. I wish I were better. That is movements of God's grace. Mm-hmm. Yes. And without those movements, there is no salvation, right? Right. Yeah. So that's that's what I was going to say. If a person is really um, grieved in that sin, mm-hmm. even if it's mm-hmm. a habitual sin, and they truly are grieved. Now, we can, again, they can be good actors and we don't know. But if they're truly grieved by their sin, even though it continues to happen, that itself is a work of the Spirit. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and, uh, something that a heart of stone cannot, uh, produce. So, so therefore that person is still and, and will remain a believer if they truly are, uh, of the elect. However, they will suffer the consequences. They and, and their loved ones will suffer the consequences of their continual sin because sin always, uh, mm-hmm. has a price that comes with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think at, at really, the, again, the heart of the matter is, uh, is there anything that I need to do? That I, to either to earn my justification or to maintain that status of justified. And, and we would say as Protestants, no, there's nothing you can do. You're justified by faith alone through the works of another. Uh, and it's a true justification, uh, because Christ's merit really is credited to you. He actually did it. It wasn't just simply that God declares, well, you know what? Let me ignore sin. Or I'm a merciful God, so I, w- I will overlook sin. He doesn't do that ever. Uh, but, he, but he has dealt with that sin at the cross for the elect. And that's why the elect cannot be lost, because their sin from beginning to end, from alpha to omega, has been already dealt with in Jesus Christ. So no one can ever fall away. No one, no, 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 no so, true believer. No, so, no, yeah. And, but individuals don't know if they are true believers or not. You, you can know. How do you because know? if you were to fall away, let's say you get involved in some terrible scandal yeah. and you fall away and, you know, or someone close to you dies and you become an alcoholic and, and, and you off yourself, God forbid, right? Uh, would you say that you're like, how do you know that you're a true believer? 
Well, because you have the Holy Spirit and the the Spirit. But, but see, that's the thing is, don't we know. all like yeah. at a certain stage, even the backslider who then never returned, an apostate, whatever. We might say, yeah, but they never really believe. But they think they really believe, well, and I they mean, think they have the Paul, Holy Spirit. I mean, Paul says, right, that the Spirit bears witness with my spirit that I am God's son, and so I believe that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and so so I you you can know now. I, I can't know for somebody else, right. but I can know that Jesus is my Lord, and that um, you know that and the and the only way I can know that is because the Spirit bears witness with my spirit. Or or you can't confess that Christ is Lord without the Spirit. But if mm-hmm. you have the Spirit, you can't curse. You know, can't curse him. I think that's in one of the Corinthians. Yeah. yeah. Some Corinthians. So I, I, mean, I mean, if someone came to me and said, I'm really troubled for my spirit, I would say, yeah. well, hey, that's a good sign. Yeah. You know, because the person who is not saved is not troubled at all. Yeah. That might arguably be the blasphemy against the spirit. Um, especially if they had the light of the gospel before. Secondly, I would say, um, do you confess Christ as Lord? Yeah. And if they say yes, then I say, you cannot confess that apart from the Spirit. Right. You know. And so as Catholics, we would say, but you can sin against the Holy Spirit. You can quench the Spirit. You can deny the Spirit. You were grafted on, St. Paul says in Romans 12, you can be grafted, you can be removed, right? You can be removed from the, the olive tree that is Israel, right? They are the, the cultivated, you're the wild mm-hmm. branch you've been sowed on. You, you can, as long as you endure. But why, why, right? why, why is that important? Like, I mean. In understanding salvation and, and insurance is, salvation, is so. connecting justification the catholic mind with sanctification not that they are two radically distinct moments mm-hmm. we have initial justification which is our holiness like god makes us but holy. is it but is it used yeah. as a as a not a threat but i mean a teaching to convey the seriousness of this hey if you don't stay keep up with what the walk the sacraments yeah you there, could lose a, it in a sense you could say the only true work that we do is not mortal sin, right? If I just stay out of mortal sin, I remain in God's yeah. grace. So babies being baptized, they go straight yeah. to heaven. There's no actual sin there that they need to repent of. But the problem becomes like when we talk about assurance of salvation, the problem becomes like as a Catholic, if I, if I am validly baptized, I belong to the church, right? I assume you both were baptized. You belong to like, I have no problem saying they are Christians, those separated brethren, they're Christians. Um, but when we talk about these things, the difficulty then becomes in our understanding of salvation, if I can lose it. And again, I mean, there is church teaching about, um, and St. Thomas Aquinas would be more Calvinist than I think most Thomists want to admit, but, uh, no, the, the understanding of final perseverance and whatnot is straight up Thomism, but this understanding that I still need, I still need Christ saved or Christ created, God created you without you, but he will not save you without you. Right. And so you need to believe in Jesus right now. The I, I actually think that Calvin does a more coherent job than Luther does in talking about it because he would put being born again as before an act of faith because you would never see an act of faith as something that you'd want to do without being born again first, mm-hmm. whereas Luther switches it, mm-hmm. right? That the act of faith is then what renders you born again through and with baptism is what renders you born again. And as Catholics, we see all of that, that faith leads us to the sacramental action of the Holy Spirit, which is baptism. Right. So I am infused with faith, hope and love. And I the only way I lose it is if I mortal sin and mortally sinning is is gravely acting contrary to God's will is doing an evil that is so evil that that you are saying to God, my will be done. Right. All sin is wrongdoing, but there is some sin which is mortal, mortus, death, deadly. And so when we enter into those sins, uh, I, I can have true and authentic repentance and be forgiven of that without the sacramental confession. 
right? Catholic Church teaches that you don't need it. You just need to do a perfect act of contrition. Um, but many people don't have that. They're more scared of punishment than they are of falling out of love with the Lord. Yeah. So, but for Catholics, like this understanding of salvation as a gift is it is a gift that cannot that can be spurned. I can choose to feel entitled and walk away. Right. And so there is not a once saved, always saved moment in the Catholic faith. So the call to repentance is continual. Right. Continual. It's a relationship as well. The Christian life is a relationship. A relationship presupposes a certain free will. It supposes a, a certain amount of uh, volition between you know, love does the same thing. I can't right? believe you just said free will. <laughs> no, you just dropped a bomb right in there. <laughs> that's it. That's it. I'm out. Yeah, yeah. Jumps out the window. Yeah, but I think that that's important because it's not – salvation is not just something that has been given to us. Like it's not this property that, that we are you know, covering and that we're protecting. Our salvation is God trying to make him more like himself, which requires uh, us saying Say yes one more time. over and over. Our salvation is God making trying to make us more, more like, like himself. himself right? okay. he's, he's in C.S. Lewis terms, make us okay. a little Christ, right? Okay. Um, and – a relationship's going to require back and forth, right? It's, he's always going to be the one leading, of course, but a passive yes is required. Uh, it's not something that we, you know, yes, we, the analogy of protecting a gift is helpful, but I think the, the most helpful thing is God is love and love requires free will. We know this of our own relationships, right? We have to say yes. Um, and so for God to work through is the sanctification to happen. It's going to require us to say yes, or which leaves the possibility also of saying no. Right, and okay. but that, and that's the thing we, but we we would agree with that, right? Yeah. We would say that even that saying yes is a gift from God. Yeah, uh, because, yes. because yeah. he doesn't because he, he, I guess you could summarize it this way: the the um, I, reformed position anyway, that Jesus comes with a purpose, and that purpose is to save. His followers, his uh, so, the, everyone whom the Lord, who the Father will give him, and that he accomplishes that purpose, that he will not lose a single one. He knows these sheep by name is not just this nebulous, uh, but he actually atones. He 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 rescues his bride, mm-hmm. um, and he does it. It is finished, and so because it depends on him, that's where our assurance comes from. Now, uh, we will show that by our fruit. And of course, it doesn't make, like you said, there's a relationship there. It doesn't make any sense to say, yes, I'm a believer and I'm living this terrible life. It, it doesn't, it, it is, it, clearly that would be false. But, our, but, but not our, because the works cause salvation. Th- that's right. But they demonstrate it. They demonstrate it. Yes. Right. They, they are the fruit, not the root of right. our justification. Because but you are someone justified. someone doesn't have, even though they believe, but their fruits are false, or their fruits. See, this is the crisis of like this is what you know. One of the the Calvinist work ethic, right, or the Puritan work ethic was. Well, I'm showing my blessing from God that I'm saved. I'm an elect because of these material blessings, right? It becomes crude when it becomes like that level of. Well, I have well, physical that's, that's prosperity. Like the prosperity yeah, right, right, yeah. but it, but, it's, but it, right, 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 absolutely. But the, that notion of like, when does the fruit, like. <laughs> How much fruit do you have to demonstrate to show that you are saved for your own personal assurance? Because there are many people who are living sinner and saint within themselves. They would not despair or they, maybe they are despairing of their salvation because they're grieved in the spirit. Like you would say, but that's a movement well, of the well, spirit. No, but it's no, like, I, I think if you despair of your salvation is only because actually you're not trusting in Christ. Right. You're trusting in yourself. Yeah. If you actually believe that Jesus Christ came to save you, um, then he's done it. So, so you wouldn't despair. Even your own sin is not a reason to despair of your salvation unless there's no repentance. Yeah. I right? think, I think I mean, that was my, I think I misspoke. I meant to say like, you're so discouraged by your sin that 
This is the 500th time. Yes. And you, you don't find the energy to fully repent or you don't, you, and then you ask yourself, well, they say by their fruits, well, you, know you, them. you will live a miserable life. Yeah. Right. But it, but if you really belong to the Lord, nevertheless, you will be saved because your sin, that's precisely what Christ comes to do. He comes to pay for our sin, not, not for our so, so sin. He, he mm-hmm. pays it all. Uh, and, um, and, and so that's why his work is so thoroughgoing and why we can have assurance of salvation. Um, you know, in 1 John 5, 13, it says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life, mm-hmm. right? So those aren't just wasted words. You can know that you have eternal life if you truly believe in Jesus Christ. Now, I can't know for anyone else, right? right? But I ought to be able to know for myself because the Spirit bears witness with my spirit, and because I am trusting in the Lord. Uh, if I sin, the more that I sin, the more that I persist in sin, if I truly belong to the Lord, it's not gonna, I'm not going to lose my salvation. Christ has paid for that. However, I will be incur more and more misery in this life. Um, yeah. Okay. We, we're against the physics of time, unfortunately. So. And my bladder. I have to go to the <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> Okay, okay. Where can people find you? Uh, Layevangelist.com and, yeah, that. Okay. HoustonInstitute.org. All right. In Jesus Christ. All right. Bam. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Juan Carlos Martinez. Find him uh, at Theology by the Pint events. Theologybythepint.org is where you find it. More about this institution. Sarah, very sorry you couldn't be here. Four pe- it's five people can't fit in here, so I'll sit out a couple and make it up to you. Uh, but go, go there to learn more about Theology by the Pint. I'm Evan McClanahan. I'm the pastor here at First Lutheran. Uh, check us out there. And uh, I'm sorry we didn't get to cover all the ground. This is just kind of to whet your appetite. There are lots of debates and lots of things you can read to learn more, find these guys to ask more questions. But until next time, we encourage you to question freely, think deeply, and disagree as needed.